You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. This is a special report from the Above the Law Converge Conference being held in New York City. This is Bob Ambrogi. I'm the co-host of the Lawyer to Lawyer show on the Legal Talk Network. And today I'm talking with John Hellerman. John is a partner at the at Hellerman Barrett's communications firm. He spoke today on pitching the mainstream media. John, welcome to the Legal Talk Network. Nice to be here, Bob. Thanks for having me. I'm not sure a lot of lawyers even know what a communications firm does. Let's let's start there. What do you do? Well, in the simplest sense, I, I bet you could describe us as helping our clients uh, tell their stories and helping them communicate with their constituencies. And their constituencies can be internal audiences, um, but most often they're external audiences, and they typically uh, choose to communicate to those audiences um, through the media filter. And so uh, we help them accomplish that. Today's topic was pitching the mainstream media. What kind of advice do you give your clients about how to do that? In a very sort of shorthand way, I could say that um, to your last question, we we create thought leaders. And uh, I think that one of the primary uh, functions of uh, this activity for lawyers is to credential themselves as thought leaders in their field. Um, so they, they, they use this media um, to not really uh, draw attention to themselves like they might want to do if they were trying to hype a movie or you know, sell cans of soup, but rather they're trying to credential their expertise um, for, their, uh, for their market so that the market can find them and they will be found um, when there's a need for their services. It's interesting. You talk about creating thought leaders. I, I, I mean, it seems to me that in this media age, uh, pitching the mainstream media would be only one small part of, of what you'd have to do to be considered a thought leader. Uh, sure. Yeah. How, how does one become a thought leader? Yeah, well, that's exactly true. So the media plays just a, a little bit of role in that. And the communications plays, a, you know, a huge role. And so it's there's three types of, of basic media now that we're sort of talking about. I mean, one's earned, one's owned, one's paid. So paid media would be your uh, advertising, uh, sponsorships to speak at conferences and things like that. There's uh, owned media, which are the types of things that a firm might create um, internally on its, at its own cost and benefit. For instance, podcasts and uh, white papers and client alerts and things of, of that sort and engaging events. And then there's the earned media, which is the, the media that I think we were you know just talking about, which is that uh, media that you have to be filtered through. Um, and to the extent that you can uh, avoid that and bypass that, I think that that's certainly an option that should be considered. And, and um, you know, just like politicians who are able, like Obama, for instance, who, are, who try to go around sort of the mainstream media, to the extent that you can reach your media, uh, your audience in a way um, that doesn't involve the media, I'm, uh, I'm 100% for it. So then what is the value? you still need to communicate to do yeah, that. Yeah, so what is the value then of that mainstream media uh, exposure? If well, law a, firms can be publishers and can control and produce their own media, why, why do they care about that? Sure. Well, I mean, unlike the stuff that they produce, the, the outside media obviously um, has a different aspect of, of uh, credibility attached to it. It is a third party. So the value of it really is the imprimatur of that third party. So, um, for instance, it'd be great to have the Wall Street Journal call you an expert, um, but whether or not it's worth your time to have the local penny saver call you an expert, probably there's a difference there. So the, the, the outlets do carry the imprimatur of their, um, 
of their outlet's name and the credibility it has, and, and that's goes a long way towards credentialing the thought leadership that's produced. But in this day and age of social media and, and networking and, and sharing of content, I think that the brand's value is, is a little bit diminished in the sense that it's not so much whether or not you appeared in the Wall Street Journal, although that's important, but it's who's sharing that content with you. So for instance, if a, if a friend of mine gives me an article that happens to be uh, produced straight out of a law firm, but they know me well enough to say, I think you'd appreciate reading this, that content has credibility to me because it came from my friend, regardless of who the source of it was. Um, and if they had shared a Wall Street Journal article with me, it would still have credibility for the same reasons, because it came with my friend and I should read it. Talk a little bit about social media. What is the role of social media in public relations and communication uh, now, as opposed to it as a marketing tool or a networking tool or something like that? Yeah, well, I mean, as far as uh, the, the public relations goes, I mean, the, first and foremost, it's um, a space where the media exists in the sense that, um, you know, you go rob a bank because that's where the money is. Um, if you want to participate and have a dialogue and a conversation with the media, um, for the most part, uh, they are available and accessible uh, online via social media. So you want to be participating both so you can engage with them, but also so that you get an idea of what they're interested in and how they engage um, publicly. So it's a useful tool in that sense. And then secondarily, um, whereas most firms are using it to broadcast their content, which is important and is certainly a, a role for social media that way, I think where firms fail and where it could become much more powerful as a tool will be when they really shift to be more the curators of content. And so they're bringing valuable content, whether it's theirs or someone else's, uh, to, to their feeds and to their clients uh, that way. Yeah. There's so much noise out there right now. I mean, they, they, there's so many legal blogs now. I, I started blogging when there were, you know, you could count on, on yeah. two hands how many blogs there were. Uh, and there's so much social media. How, how do lawyers get heard among all of that noise? And, well, that's a great. I mean, that's a great question. I should probably ask you. I mean, you're. You've been. <laughs> I'm interviewing you. I'm sorry. Well, you've been podcasting now for like what a dozen years, ten years. Ten years. I mean, you're one of the, like one, of the one of the first yeah. lawyers to podcast, and probably I, one of the first podcasts. We were early. Yes, yeah, we, we were, were early. And so, you know, it's interesting because I think um, it's taken about ten years for podcasts to really come <laughs> into their own, yeah. and uh, and now that they have, so. Um, the, there's obviously value. There's value in being first. Um, there's value in establishing this this, this um, uh, network for yourself. There's a lot of clutter, as you said. And so um, it's really important to find uh, a niche and a, and a voice that cuts through that clutter. And I, I wish I had sort of a silver bullet for that. Um, but I could, I could share some examples. I mean, um, yeah. several years ago, uh, back in 06 when The Office was a very hot show on TV. Um, we created a blog for a, a labor and employment firm um, called That's What She Said. And oh, it, I remember that. That was a great yeah. blog. And it, and it came out on Friday mornings uh, following the Thursday night episode of The Office, and it put a litigation value on the show to say, basically, you know, if you were hiring someone like M Michael Scott and he was managing your firm, you know, last night's uh, shenanigans would have cost you $300,000. And we put a litigation value on the, on the season. And it was a great blog because it was very engaging, and um, it, 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 it came at the topic with some humor, um, so it wasn't very scary. To It was accessible for, for clients and general people, and it also tapped into a, a new network, which were office fans, um, you know, fans of the show who weren't necessarily legal, but 
the the content of the blog was written in such a way that it 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 had an appeal to them and uh, we did a couple other things with that, which I think are important, but um, one of them was we did not host it on a law firm website. It was produced and edited by a law firm, but it was um, developed for a actual media um, outlet, which back in those days, right, didn't have any blogs. So they're talking about clutter, right? They, they were glad to receive it because they didn't have any other blogs on their site. So we offered them the blog. They distributed it for us. And uh, it was a very good partnership um, for the firm because they had traffic. And that blog became, uh, you know, something uh, It was a top until the show went off the air, it was a top blog and got like 12,000 visitors every Friday morning. So that That's was something great. unique that just kind of broke through. And I think that you have to, you know, to just put up a blog these days that aggregates news. Uh, that's just ticking off a box to say you have a blog. It's not really adding anything to right. the discussion. Right. So you have to develop a voice and find a niche of some kind. Right. Again, with reference to the fact that so many of us these days can consider ourselves publishers, a lot of lawyers are doing blogs, law firms are doing all sorts of products. Uh, why do they need you? Where, why do they need an outside firm to help with this? Ah, well, that's a that's a great question. It's a softball um, to you, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I can hit it. Uh, well, they they need us because one, they don't really have the expertise or the time to devote to acquire the expertise to do this on a routine basis with, I hope, the sort of success that an agency like mine brings to the table. Um, but really, it's also about uh, educating them. I mean, I think that just because they do these things, I think that's the big problem. You know, a lot of them are doing these things, but whether or not they're doing them to any sort of real effect um, or with any sort of real impact uh, is the difference between, you know, engaging in an activity and, and actually, you know, making the activity worthwhile to you. Um, and I think that's, that's where we come in. We, can, we, we help um, both them conceive of, of what content to create, how to create it, how to make it appealing to their audience, and we help them market it afterwards, which is actually fundamentally the whole goal of it, is to have something that you can market afterwards. What should a lawyer or law firm look for in selecting a communications firm to work with? I think that obviously the, the talent that the firm brings to the table and, and, and past results are, are obviously uh, important to look at. And there are other things too, uh, you know, unique ways of billing. For instance, we um, we will bill a client any way they really would like us to bill them. Uh, we're open to all options. But we also have a results pricing system, which we find sort of valuable for clients that are a little bit skeptical of the type of opportunities that um, agencies might bring to the table for them. And so with clients like that who want to avoid some of the risk, we, we you know, shoulder parts of it. What does that mean? But, Explain that more. Well, so we have a model. Uh, it's not our only model, but um, where we'll we'll charge a, a, a small fee for our general consulting. But then, the, if there's if the client is a media relations intensive client, the media relations work we do will charge um, flat fees for the results we achieve. Um, per so result, if they get a basically. placement in the Wall Street Journal, then exactly. there's a certain cost. There's for a that. cost for that. Yeah, and if we don't, we don't get it. Um, so clients, you know, some clients that appeals to, um, others are still sort of feeling their way with things like that. Um, but the biggest thing I think that they need from a, a communications firm like ours is the, the expertise to educate their lawyers about the, the possibilities of what exists and to take some of the things that, that don't exist off the table for consideration so they don't waste time and resources pursuing. Okay. And uh, does industry knowledge matter in a communications firm? I mean, can you just go out and hire a general communications firm or you need to look for one that's worked with the legal industry or whatever industry it is and, and why, if so? That's a good question. I mean, I, I wouldn't... I'd love to say that, you know, only we are able to understand lawyers. Um, 
But I think nobody that, understands lawyers. Well, we that's know. the, <laughs> and I think that that maybe is is sort of the value that a firm like ours that has a unique expertise in a particular niche being. Um, you know, our niche, our expertise is helping to sell professional expertise. Um, most of our clients, about 70% of them are lawyers, but we also do hedge funds and financial services and healthcare and, and uh, consultants and other professionals. Um, but the legal uh, part of it is important. And I think that the, the biggest thing is just educating them about um, how it is we can help them uh, reach their audiences in a way that their audiences find appealing. The panel you were on today was talking a lot about pitching some of the mainstream media, talking about the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times. Um, what's the, what do you see as the role or the importance of the sort of traditional legal media, the American Lawyer, the National Law Journal, some of the other publications out there uh, in terms of exposure for a lawyer? Oh, it's those outlets are still paramount. I mean, um, you know, from a, a, a an industry perspective, American Lawyer is the, the bellwether magazine, um, and certainly from just a... Uh, a juggernaut perspective. I mean, beyond the magazine, you know, it's all the other ALM types of products and, and news outlets that they, they, they bring to the market, which makes them very important to communicate with and have good relationships with. Um, and then, obviously, there's sites like uh, Casey Sullivan's, uh, you know, B&A and Bloomberg. That new site is, 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 Big is law great. Is. Above the Law is a tremendous site, although uh, w- one of the ones that, um, you know, lawyers can be sort of skeptical about because of the, the tone of its coverage. Um, which is, again, another sort of um, reason professional communicators are are useful in terms of helping navigate um, those differences between the, the different uh, outlets. Um, but really the big, the big B2B, because this is a B2B business, the big B2B publishers and the ones that hold sway over B2B publishers. So the New York Times is very important just because it's, it's the New York Times. I mean, that's what, you know, a ton of credibility. And that's what other reporters are, are, are looking to as well to see who the sources might be that, that, that they should be talking to for their specific niches. Yeah. And, and how, uh, what do you see as the, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, I'm sure you're familiar with something like JD Supra, which is kind of a content distribution sure. service for uh, yeah. large law firms. I mean, there's so many ways to get content out there yeah. these days, blogs and, and services like that. Um, I, I, do you work with law firms on devising an overall content strategy and in, in, in what needs to be considered in looking at that content strategy? Yeah, thanks for asking that. I mean, it is true that um, we're sort of put in this box of like PR firm and that's sort of, you know, 13 years ago when we were first starting their company, that's really what we were. Um, but over the last 13 years, we really, I mean, there has been a shift both in the, the media, the way the market's covered, social media, uh, just the gadgetry with BlackBerry, the pace of everything. And we really have become more of a communications consultancy. And so the media is a part of what we do, but it's, it's, we're channel neutral. We're helping firms communicate to those constituencies that they need to communicate with. You know, we, we help lawyers from time to time write their brag memos at the end of the year. I mean, we're, we're just, we're helping them craft better bios. You know, we write up case studies that are purely internal. Um, but we're really trying to use our expertise to help guide our clients um, through all the different ways that they, they have to market and communicate, um, whether it's internal audiences or external. We're nearing the end of this interview, but uh, what, what's perhaps the, the biggest piece of advice you'd want to give to lawyers out there who are listening to this in terms of what they need to be doing uh, to, to uh, 
understand to to build a relationship with the mainstream media. Sure. Well, the first thing is, and I think Casey mentioned this on the panel, but they they need to engage with the media. I mean, it's not something that they need to be fearful of. I think a lot of them come at their experience of the media or their sense of the media from Hollywood, and it's you know it's the movies like uh, you know uh, you know the generation that's sort of in power now at. Uh, at law firms sort of grew up with the Woodward and Bernstein type model of investigative journalism and they're just going to get out and you know find something out about you and try to destroy you. And really, we're trying to come at it from a completely different perspective where some of the work we do is that crisis litigation related stuff, but mostly we're trying to help position experts as appropriate providers of analysis for reporters so that they can, they can explain the issues that they're covering. Uh, in a better, uh, more accessible way to the audience that's reading those stories. And uh, finding out how to connect those two things is very important. And, um, and being there to do that is, is, is really necessary. So my, my top piece of advice would be to engage and to share. So once you have the, the placement that you've been pining over and we're worried about, it really has little value unless you share it with the prospects and clients that you wanted to impress with it in the first place. And is it worthwhile to be doing that engagement uh, before the news story comes along, so to speak, to lay the groundwork for a relationship? I mean, do you do you advise clients, for example, to go in and you know call and call a reporter and say, "Hey, I I just want to introduce myself and let you know I'm here if if you need me," or uh, go in and do a personal visit or that kind of thing? Sure. Well, yes and no. I mean, so we're very mindful of how the relationship should be created with the uh, reporter. And, you know, we don't want the, the, the lawyer to make any sort of amateurish mistakes. So um, in that situation, absolutely. I mean, one of the key things we tell uh, lawyers to do is they should have a list of about a half a dozen reporters. Um, probably no more. Probably, you know, could be less, four, five, six. But that cover their industry and are the sort of beat reporters for the, the publications that their clients read. Those half a dozen reporters are really important to create relationships with. And we would advise to not just kind of call up and say, hey, I do this kind of work. I'd like to meet you. But... Um, much better than that would be to call them up and say, I've been reading you for five years and I wish I had you know, introduced myself sooner and I'd like to meet you. But even better than that would be, I've been reading you for five years, it's time for me to meet you and I've got something to talk to you about specifically. Whether you're interested or not, that's okay. But I have something to beyond just wanting to say hello. So don't waste their time. Don't waste their yeah. time. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, before we wrap up, uh, give you the final word. Any closing thoughts on, on pitching the mainstream media? No, I just hope more people do it <laughs> and need our help. <laughs> and do it through you. That's right. Thanks for having me. Well, yeah, thanks a lot. We've been talking to John Hellerman, partner at Hellerman Barrett's Communications. This is a special report from the Above the Law Converge Conference for the Legal Talk Network here in New York City. This is Bob Ambrogi. Thanks for listening. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.